Well, hello, everyone. Time to be friendly to me. You do it so well. Are you ready for chapter 5 of the story? I mean, this thing is packed. we got to get going. Let me begin with, the, begin with a story that might help set the stage. There was a five-year-old girl uh, who was having one of those trouble-filled days. I mean, she just couldn't obey her mom. And after multiple reprimands that her mom gave her for being disobedient, mom finally lost her patience. And she said, Jenny, I want you to go over there and sit down on that chair. And don't you move until I tell you, her mom said sternly. So Jenny went over to the corner and she sat down on the chair. And then after a few moments, she yelled out to her mother in the other room, Mommy, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) You know, we're stand-up-on-the-inside kind of people, aren't we? It's just in our nature. It is in our nature to sort of resist authority and sort of buck rules and regulations. It's just a, a part of who we are. Some of you do a really good job of kind of keeping it on the outside looking all kind and good and all that, but many times on the inside at work or in your neighborhood or at a family gathering, you're standing up on the inside. And some of you don't care. You just let it all loose. It's because it's in our nature. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people have difficulty with God. And they have difficulty with things like the Ten Commandments. They think of God, they see God as this up there kind of God who is in authority over us, much like they do the judge or taking a stroll to the principal's office or the Wizard of Oz, kind of an up there authority who is casting down all kinds of rules and regulations to squeeze the joy and fun out of living. And even makes it a full-time job to watch over us just hoping and waiting for us to make a mistake so he can zap us. Some sort of cosmic killjoy. We get that particularly when we come to the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Rules and Regulations from the authority of God. And those of us who have watched movies like uh, Charlton Heston, Heston's rendition of Moses and some of the others, you know, really get this sense of a, a big God who is up there casting down all of these rules. Well, today we've come to chapter 5 of the story, and I think when we see the big picture, instead of getting lost in all the details of the lower story, rising up and, up and seeing the upper story and how chapter 5 and the giving of the Ten Commandments by God fits into his overall plan to get us back, I think you'll be surprised that nothing is further from the truth in this image that many of us carry about God and why he gives us rules and regulations. Now, if you uh, brought your story or your Bible, I want you to hold it up. I need to see it. Let's see. All over the place. Some of you brought it. Now, I want you to know that I can tell who doesn't bring it. And and, and I'm I'm making a note of that, and I'm going to do something with it later. Not sure what, but I, no, I'm just joking. I'm actually very encouraged that you're bringing um, the Bible with you. I'm very encouraged that you're bringing the story. It really is going to enhance your your learning and your ability to grab what God is trying to teach us. I want to start off uh, by looking at the place, the place where uh, the nation of Israel is at. If you were here last week, you saw the miraculous display of God's power that brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt 
through the parted Red Sea into the Sinai Desert. And uh, we've been inviting you to sort of draw on your inside map of the Old Testament, a, a geographical chronologue of the journeys of the Old Testament people and God's relationship with them. And if you weren't here last week, we invited you to draw a picture uh, next to Joseph of Moses and then to draw a circle around Moses representing the children of Israel here in Egypt. And last week in chapter 4, we saw them uh, cross over the Red Sea and they landed under that word Sinai or the Sinai Desert. And it is in chapter 5, as we open it up, we see that the children of Israel have now made themselves, uh, they have now come to the Sinai Peninsula and that's where they're going to be in chapter 5. And unfortunately, it's where they're going to be in chapter 6 in the desert. They were supposed to have moved on by the end of chapter 5, but a set of circumstances caused them to hang out in the wilderness just a little bit longer. And I want you to come back next week having read the chapter with an anticipation of what we can learn about desert living, because it applies to us today. Now, at the opening line on page 47, or Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, it tells us that they have been journeying now for a total of three months, and they have finally come to the desert of Sinai. God says to the Israelites through Moses, and I'm paraphrasing off of page 41, God says to the Israelites through Moses, did you see everything I did for you to get you out of Egypt? Did you see all of that? I lifted you out of there like you were flying on the wings of an eagle. I revealed to you my name, I am who I am, or Yahweh. And I revealed to you my power through the ten plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea. Surely by now you see me as the one true God who loves you deeply. Well, if you're ready, God's saying to the Israelites, I want to go ahead and take the plan to the next level. God says to them, I need you to listen very carefully. God says to the Israelites in chapter 5, I want to come down from up here and I want to dwell with you down here. I want to dwell with you. Not up here, God, but down here among the people. God wants to come down and dwell with them. And I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how huge of a declaration this is. If you've been with us through the journey of the story, you'll know that in chapter 1, we uncovered that the big idea of the whole story, the grand vision of God, the apple of his eye, the point of the story is that God wants to do life down here with us. But we learned in chapter 1 of the story that that was ruined, that was lost when the first two people who are representatives of us chose a different strategy. And chapter 1 told us that they received a sin nature kind of a sin DNA in them that's passed to us. And we have learned that this sin nature is our number one barrier to our relationship with God. That that sin keeps us from being in his presence. And we learned in chapter one also that we can't do anything to solve that problem on our own, but God wants to get us back. Sin changed everything. It ruined the vision, but God wants to get us back. Now, it is true that after Adam and Eve were separated from God in the garden, it is true that in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, that God has been interacting with people from up here. But this chapter 5 is a huge shift in the story. God is not just going to interact with certain people, but he's going to come down and actually dwell with them and this is the first time since the garden that this has been done. 
But for this to happen, God says to Moses to tell the Israelites, in order for me to come down and to dwell in your camp, three things are going to have to get worked out. And I want to invite you to write these three things down and ponder them. First of all, he says, if I'm going to come down, there has to be guidelines on how we treat each other. Write that down. If I'm going to come down, there has to be guidelines on how we treat each other. You see, in our human community without God, we're pretty rough on each other at times. We're pretty cruel to each other. It's a direct result of our sin nature. We can help ourselves. Oh, we can go a day or two here and there, but you go on a vacation with some family members or neighbors for two weeks, and it just comes out. I mean, you cannot help yourself. You can only pretend to be good for so long when the real you just comes out. Someone says that in our community, we hurt, we hurl, and we hoard. Another writer says, we attack each other and we withdraw from each other. It's like the two men who were talking, and the one guy says, hey, I heard you and your wife had a big argument last night. How did that all turn out? And the other guy said, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. Really, what did she say? She said, get out from underneath that bed, you coward. The way we treat each other goes both ways, husband and wife and brother and sister. and It's just the way it is, neighbor to neighbor. But in God's community, things are different. People are treated in God's community with full dignity and respect. There's no hurting. There's no hurling. There's no hoarding. There's no attacking. There's no withdrawing. And this is what the Ten Commandments are all about. I don't know if you've seen this before as you studied the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments, but four, the first four of the Ten Commandments teaches us about our relationship with God. The Commandments 5 through 10 deal with our relationship with each other. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. The whole Old Testament can be summed up according to the teaching of Jesus. The whole Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, can be summed up under two principles— Love God and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments seek to give us details on how we can love God and how we can love our neighbor. And God is saying to the Israelites, in my community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the vision I had in the garden with Adam and Eve, it involves not hurting each other. It involves not taking advantage of each other. It involves respecting each other. And that's the way it's got to be if I'm going to dwell among you. Now, you can find the list on page 49 of the story of the Ten Commandments or Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. I just want to read them to you. The first four deal with how to love God. Number one, have no other gods before me. Number two, do not make an image to worship. Number three, do not misuse my name. Number four, remember the Sabbath. Now, commands 5 through 10 teach us on how we should love each other. Now, keep in mind as I read these things of the times in your life when you or someone you deeply love had one of these things happen to them or happen against them. And remind yourself just for a flash how painful it was for you or for this person you dearly love when they were victims of one of these things. And now you'll realize how important it is for us to keep them. Number five, honor your father and mother. 
Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie to hurt your neighbor. And number 10, do not covet anything of your neighbor's. Now on page 50 of the story, you can turn there, or Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3, it tells us that Moses read all of these Ten Commandments plus a host of others directly to the people of Israel, and then he asked them if they're in. Are you up for this? The keeping of these commandments in order for God to come dwell with us. Are you up for that? Well, the story tells us on page 50 that they responded in one voice of unison, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Isn't that inspiring? We're also going to laugh at him later. It doesn't go so well. God says, all right then, let's proceed. In the middle of page 50, or Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 17, God invites Moses to come up to the top of Mount Sinai where he will etch the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets with his finger, God's finger. It's like a divine laser beam. Moses will also not only get these two tablets of stone, but Moses will get the next two things that must be in place for God's arrival. Number two, God tells Moses, if I come down, I'm going to need a place to stay. If I come down, I'm going to need a place to stay. I want you to look at the bottom of page 50 or Exodus 25, 8 through 9. God says, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, if you look on, top, on the top of page 51, you will see from this time on, God's presence would reside in a tabernacle or this sort of portable tent of worship. God is going to come down and dwell in this tent or this tabernacle right in the camp of the Israelites. This is unbelievable. But there's something you need to know. While the presence of God is dwelling in their camp, the Israelites do not have direct access to God. One of the instructions in the building of this tent or this tabernacle is they were to construct with curtains a room on the interior of the tent called the most holy place. And this was the place where God was dwelling. And they were told they were not allowed to go in there. As a matter of fact, we're told in the story that only the high priest under only and only once a year, given detailed instructions, could actually enter into this most holy place. So they didn't have direct access to God. But this is a huge improvement. The presence of God was in their camp. And they knew that he was there because during the day, there was a cloud over that tent representing the presence of God. And at night, it turned to fire. Now, there's one more, there's one more final instruction for Moses before he comes down off the mountain. God says, if I'm going to come down, sin must be atoned for. Now, you remember from chapter 1, the main thing that keeps us separated from God, we'll say it over and over again, make sure no one misses this, the thing that separates us from God from birth is our sin nature. The Bible teaches us that every single person in this room has been conceived in the womb of their mother with a sin nature, and by golly, we can't do anything to get rid of it. Now, we've already seen in previous chapters 
that the blood of another would be shed to cover our sins. Now, there's been animal sacrifices already in the Bible. We saw that in chapter 1 with Noah. Remember, that's the first thing he did when he got off the boat. And we also saw, saw in a powerful way in chapter 4 with the, with the Passover lamb being slain and the blood being put on the door frames of their houses so that death would pass over them. But here in chapter 5, the sacrifices of animals is going to be institutionalized. There's going to be a lot of them. Why? In order for God's presence to actually be among the people, the sin nature has to be covered by the blood of these animals without defect constantly. That's the significance between, um, between us and God and the price that has to be paid for God to be present because of our sin. Now, the book of Leviticus, which we're not going to cover in the story, the book of Leviticus contains all the guidelines for the priest on these sacrifices. But I think you'll agree with me that the book of Leviticus gets tagged by everyone as the most boring book in the Bible. It's a real yawner until you realize that it's also one of the most important books of the Old Testament because it gives detailed instructions on what God requires for the blood to be shed, the blood of another shed to cover our sins. So let's review. God tells Moses, if I'm going to come down, number one, there has to be guidelines on how we treat each other. That's the Ten Commandments. Number two, I'm going to need a place to stay. That's the tabernacle. And number three, sin has to be atoned for. Sacrificial, uh, the sacrificial system is put in place. Okay, Moses has now been up on the mountain for 40 days. How are the Israelites doing at the base of the mountain? I want you to look at page 51 of the story, or Exodus chapter 32. I've entitled this section of the story, Mad Cow Worship. <laughs> Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, or page 51 of the story. When the people saw that Moses was no longer... Come, uh, that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I want you to take a look at that phrase, as for this fellow Moses. They act like they hardly know the guy. As for this fellow Moses. Hello! He is the guy that put his life on the line for you. Do you not remember the ten plagues that got you out of Egypt? Do you not remember the parted Red Sea? It was just 40 days ago or four months ago that he did all this for us. As for this fellow Moses. It reminds me that the old adage was true then as it is today. I don't care what you did for me yesterday. I want to know what you're going to do for me today. That's the attitude they have, and some of you are dealing with that right now. Look at what Aaron's, uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, does on page 51, or Exodus chapter 32, verses 2 through 4. Aaron answered them, that is the Israelites, because he was at the base of the mountain while Moses was up on top of the mountain. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. 
He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. In under 40 days, the Israelites have already broken two of the commandments, the first two commandments. Now, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I hope you understand how I'm going to say this. But I am convinced that if I were living during their time and I watched with my own eyes God do for them, do for me what he did for them, I am absolutely convinced that I would have lasted at least 50 days until I did something stupid like that. <laughs> at least 50. And what about choosing a cow as the animal to worship? Is it just me? Or is this not really a scary kind of animal? I mean, I would have chosen a panther or, a, or an eagle. I mean, was this the only animal mold available at Sinai Walmart? A cow? Ooh, I'm scared. Well, I hope I wouldn't pick any animal. But the reality is we're not very different from the Israelites, are we? God tells Moses what happened because God can see everything. And it says to us in the story that Moses heads down the mountain, and the first thing he does is he confronts his brother Aaron. On page 52, bottom of page 52 of the story, or Exodus chapter 32, verses 22 through 24, we have Aaron's response. Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just as ridiculous as the... The student trying to tell the teacher that the dog ate his homework. That doesn't work. Out came this calf. This is so hilarious. But Moses is pretty hot. Moses is infuriated. And it tells us in a very serious tone that the instigators of this plot were executed. Then it goes on to tell us that Moses crushes the golden calf into a million pieces and grinds it into a powder-like substance, and he pours it into their water, and he makes the Israelite drink the golden calf. I'm glad I wasn't around to see how all that came out. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Well, what transpires in the following pages is a tough and yet tender conversation that Moses and God have with one another. This whole idea, this whole notion of God coming down and dwelling with the Israelites is just about a bust. But Moses goes to God and he pleads with him to forgive the Israelites. He even goes so far, listen to this, he even goes so far to say, God, um, I would even like for you to consider taking all of the sins that they have committed and place them on me and blot my name out of the book. Do you know how significant that is? For a people that just threw him under the bus? As for this fellow Moses. Well, as it turns out, this fellow Moses was willing to give up his eternal life 
that you might have another shot at God dwelling in your midst. On page 54, or Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 through 16, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And that's exactly what happened. This is a big shift, folks, in the story. God is once again dwelling with his people like he was with Adam and Eve in chapter 1. He's doing it again here for the first time since then in chapter 5. Dwelling with the people of Israel, his presence is with them and will distinguish them from all other people because his presence makes a huge difference when he's in our midst. And it will not only be a benefit and a blessing to the Israelites, but it will signal all the other nations as they encounter and hear stories of the Israelites, it will distinguish them and it will cause all other people and nations to seek God. And that's the point. Chapter 5 ends with this beautiful summary on the bottom of page 56. And this new nation was to be different so that all of the world would know and worship the one true God, the very source of life and hope. That's chapter 5. It's incredible the amount of stuff going on in chapter 5. Ancient and true story. The question is, what does it have to do with my life? What does it have to do with your life? And I would like to suggest to you, as in other chapters, but this chapter all the more, that God has been giving us clues in each of these Old Testament chapters that give us a hint of what is to come in his grand plan to get us back. And when we come to chapter 5, we see some humongous clues. God is saying to us, just like he did the Israelites, He's saying, I want to come down and hang with you. I want to come down and do life with you, people, today. But in order for me to do that, three things need to be worked out. Number one, sin has to be atoned for. I want you to write down a passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. By itself, it may be a very difficult passage to understand, but now with the understanding and the unfolding of chapter 5 in the Old Testament, I think it will make crystal clear sense to you. In this passage of Scripture, it tells us that actually the blood of these animal sacrifices never really did atone for the sins of the Israelites. And that's why they could never come directly into the presence of God. They needed a mediator. They needed a priest to do it for them. But it was a picture of what was yet to come, the picture of another who was without defect, who was without sin, who would shed his blood on our behalf. And we know that person from last week to be Jesus. And the Bible tells us here in this passage that when Jesus shed his blood, unlike the animal's blood that was shed, his blood actually and effectively atones for our sins so that we have direct access to God. Do you remember in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus is crucified? Maybe you missed this part of the story. It says that when Jesus is crucified, that God takes this curtain that separated the people from the most holy place. Now not in a tabernacle, but in a temple, this most holy place existed. No one was allowed to enter it. 
There was a curtain, a big heavy curtain that kept them from it. But when Jesus was crucified, when his blood was shed, God himself entered into that room and he rent that curtain from top to bottom, signifying that is now, there is now no barrier between God and the people. No need for a mediator, no need for a priest. If your sins have been atoned for because you have asked for it by faith, if they have been covered, you have direct access into the presence of God to meet with him, to talk with him, and to enjoy his presence. The second thing that God is saying to us today, just like he did the Israelites, I'm going to need a place to stay if I come down here. I'm going to need a place to stay. Listen to this. The New Testament teaches us that instead of God wanting to dwell in a tent, we have become the tent. The New Testament teaches us that when we trust Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of sins, immediately and suddenly he makes his dwelling in us. We are the new tabernacle, the mobile tent of the presence of God. We are carriers of the Jesus virus. Folks, you know this, but this building is not the church. You know that, don't you? Those of us who have Christ in us, we are the church, the tabernacle of God. And just like at a good Elvis concert, ladies and gentlemen, the church has left the building. When you leave today, so will the church, and this will cease to be the church. It's a building that belongs to God, but the church is here right now and will be gone in just a few moments. Keep that in mind as you leave today. You are the tabernacle. He dwells within you. The third thing God says to us today, like he did the Israelites, if I'm going to come down, there has to be guidelines on how we treat each other. And the Ten Commandments and the, are, are still good for us today. But just like the Israelites, we cannot outwardly conform to the laws of God. We can't do it. We still hurt and hurl and hoard. We still attack and withdraw, even as Christians. We can't love God, and we can't love our neighbor like we want to. But the Bible tells us in the kingdom to come, when our sin is thrown into the lake of fire forever, our sin nature is thrown into the lake of fire forever, and we receive new resurrected bodies that don't have the sin nature, we will be able to love our God and to love other people as God intended from chapter 1. But today we still have sin natures. But we have something the Israelites did not have. And that is we have Christ dwelling in us and that gives us a better chance at actually living it out. The New Testament teaches us that while our bodies are outwardly wasting away, and some of us say amen to that, that those of us who are walking with God, he is inwardly renewing us day by day from the inside out. And while we cannot outwardly conform to the laws and regulations of God on our own, we are being inwardly transformed by his presence in us day by day, which empowers us to actually do it. Jesus gave us a new command in John 13, 35. He says he is pouring out his love in us as new Christians, and it is in the process of changing us from the inside out, making us more loving people. And ultimately, as God has his way with us on the inside, it causes us to actually love God more deeply and to actually love and respect our neighbor more deeply. And it is what is distinguishing us from all other people. Not that we have got it together, but God is getting it together in us from the inside out. 
folks, we have a chance to get a taste of the community God wants us to be a part of. A kind of community where we treat each other with respect and full dignity. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that? Well, we have that possibility in Christ as he transforms us from the inside out so that when Jesus tells us to stand up and love people on the outside as we leave this place, we can genuinely say to God we are standing up on the inside with a heart ready to love the people around us. And all the church said...